1: Welcome to Political Rewind. Uh, I'm Bill Vigas, but I'm taking a few days off with uh, my wife, Janice, uh, before the Christmas holiday. And so I'm going to turn the show over to uh, Donna Lowry, who has graciously agreed to fill in for me today. I'm here uh, simply because Donna agreed that we could not let the day go by without saying hello uh, and talking briefly about Johnny Isaacson, who sadly died. Uh, over the weekend. And Donna, thank you so much for giving us a chance before you do your terrific show about the film industry for Jim Galloway and I to talk a little bit about Johnny.
0: Oh, absolutely. I'm so glad that both of you giants decided to come off your vacation to talk about this, but to talk about Senator Isaacson. But as we know, he was um beloved a great man, and this is something in politics we have to talk about. Um, so I'm glad you're here. I am glad that you uh, left the beach a little bit for us, um, but you'll be able to put your sand back, your your toes back in the sand in just a few uh-huh. moments. And then we have Jim Galloway with us, of course, uh, with who. Is retired, but I, I think he, I don't know why you call it retired, because you're still very bit busy, back, very active, um, former AJC political columnist. I'm so glad you're able to be with us to talk about Senator Isaacson, too, Jim.
2: Thank you, Donna. Uh, And and I think retired means no regular paycheck. (laughs) That's
0: that's absolutely what it means. You know, it's hard to think about where to begin when it comes to Senator Isaacson, I think. There's so much to be said about him, um, you know, decades, more than four decades of work as a politician. um, And and curiously the only georgia politician to serve in both the georgia house and senate and then the us house and senate and maybe maybe bill that's where to begin i mean he's unique in that way
1: yeah he yeah we've never had had a, an elected official here who served in all four of those bodies georgia house and senate and the us senate and house but in in some ways go back a little Donna because what everybody hears right now about Johnny Isaacs, it almost sounds like a, a like cliche, but, but it, it happens to be incredibly true. This was one of the kindest, most collegial uh political leaders you could ever want to meet, both in the way he treated people personally and in the way he worked across party lines to accomplish his uh, goals and and I think Jim. To, go, to to figure out where that might have started, you have to go all the way back to the late 70s and early 80s when Johnny was one of that tiny band of Republicans, Cobb County Republicans in some cases. He was there uh, 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 in the legislature uh, back when they were a very small group of people. Uh, Rusty Paul was there. Paul Coverdale was there. And they really had to learn early on in that small minority, I think, Jim, how to work across party lines if they ever expected to get anything accomplished in a body completely dominated by Democrats.
2: Right, right. I, I, I first ran into to Johnny Isaacson in the mid-'80s uh, when he was the House Minority Leader and Paul Coverdell was the, the state Senate Minority Leader. Uh, they were what, what we called then progressive Republicans. Yeah. That's how they. That's how they labeled themselves, and and they broke through their minority status by by aligning themselves with with, Afri- uh, democratic African American members of of the legislature, and it, it was it was and this would actually uh, give uh, Isaacson uh, a great deal of pr- problems through the nineties because uh, when he first ran for governor uh, in nineteen ninety, he was a he ran as a pro choice Republican and yeah. uh and and uh and he he lo- he lost that race to Zell Miller. it was a very very bitter race uh and then he tried again in I think 96 yeah. to run to to replace to replace uh Sam Nunn, who was retiring uh and he lost a primary to to guy Milner because he wasn't viewed uh sufficiently anti-abortion yeah and you know not Go ahead.
1: I'm not, I don't mean to interrupt, Jim. Um, I just want to, before even talking about some of that, say that in many ways, my relation—I've like you, Jim, I mean, I've known Isaacson for decades. And, and I have to say the first thing I think about is my personal r- work relationship with him. He treated all journalists the way he treated the people around him, with, with respect, um, with deference. I, and as a father... The fact that not a single meeting with Johnny Isaacson ever took place without him saying to me, how's how's little Bill, your son little Bill, he always called him, how's Emma? He always thought about, remembered my children. Now, to some extent, that's a wonderful device for uh, having a more intimate experience. But Jim, it was meaningful to a dad like me, and that was the kind of human being he was beyond all the politics we talk about.
2: Oh, absolutely, and and I will tell you what um, I mean. One of the, the, the most moving things that I ever wrote about him was uh, was then what was was back in I think maybe twenty eleven twenty twelve, a a peace corps worker from Georgia was murdered in Benin in 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 Africa. Uh, uh, she had she had uh, accused one of uh, her colleagues of child molestation, and and her throat was slit, and mm-hmm. and. Johnny didn't call the parents. He simply showed up at the funeral, sat in the back, and and, and when it was over, he approached them and he said, "If you need any help, call me." And that led to this two or three, four or five year relationship with 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 the parents and and the and the rest of the family, and and some legislation that improved uh, improved the Peace Corps, but it was it was that person. He always had that personal connection behind the 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 the, the legislation, and I I just thought that was remarkable.
1: Yeah. And Donna, you as one of the one of the, the the North Georgia's best known education reporters for so many years, you saw the mark that he made on not just Georgia education but on national education policy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I interviewed him quite a few times, and on a personal level, when you you talk about the fact that Bill that he asked about your family, always asked about my family too. And what I loved is I would call him and ask him if I could, you know, meet, do an interview with him, and he'd say come on over, Donna, and he'd have me come over to Northside Realty, and he'd say, as soon as you get there, just call me. I'll come on down, and we'd do an interview. Of course, he was appointed by Governor Zell Miller to be the head of the Georgia um, Board of Education, so I dealt with him there, the State Board of Education. And then when he went on to... The U.S., um, when he went on to Washington, he focused on No Child Left Behind. He was part of that under George w- President George W. Bush. And then under President Obama, he dealt with the changes to what was jo- um, No Child Left Behind. So, yes, I dealt with him on many levels, but he a huge champion he was for education.
1: So I, I know that we have limited time today to talk about Johnny Um But I do think there's one thing that's really important to talk about, Um, and Jim, you'll help me with this part of it there are people who have contacted me over the weekend who saw my tweets about how much I cared about Johnny Isaacson, what a great leader he was, who've said, yeah, but what about his relationship with Donald Trump? And there's no question he had a complicated relationship with former President Trump. But I do think it's important. Johnny Isaacson was not the sort of person who was going to uh, uh, call names to any one individual, whether it's President Trump or uh, uh, his neighbor down the street. He just didn't attack people on a personal basis. But, Jim, it's important. You and I, on two very specific occasions, talked to him about very, very uh, important matters, and he was quite outspoken about Trump. So uh, one example, of course, is that right after Charlottesville, when Donald Trump said there are good people on both sides, refused c- to make any uh, criticism of the right wing, a uh, national white nationalists. he came on the show and he said, uh, if something that rises to that level, this is a quote to that level of horror takes place. It should be expeditiously and quickly addressed by the leader of the country. And then he said something really important. He was part of a bipartisan effort to pass legislation that would increase Data collection on hate crimes, and called on the Trump administration to begin studying and condemning the white nationalist movement in this country. That, in many ways, more important than him calling Trump personal names.
2: Right, and then if if you go to if you go to twenty eighteen, the summer of twenty eighteen, um, and the death of John McCain. You'll re- remember that there was a a a a, a, uh, a great debate in in D.C. over whether the White House would allow the flags to be lowered uh, mm-hmm. at, to half staff because because Trump uh, Trump was just I mean he was just remarkably dismissive of of of, of this former uh, Vietnam POW, and and Isaacson got on the floor of the Senate. And again, like you said, he, he, he kept, he, he, he maintained the Senate decorum. He did not call anybody out by name. But he gave this wonderful speech, uh, and it was part confessional. He said, you know, back in, it was addressed to all the, the young men who grew up during the 60s and were subject to the draft. And he himself served in the National Guard, Georgia National Guard, and, and he confessed that it was a way for him to stay out of Vietnam. And, and he alluded to Trump who had uh who avoided service in bone spurs with 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 the declaration that he had bone spurs and 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 it was just a a wonderful acknowledgement uh, not just to, to John McCain, but to people like max cleland who yeah. who, who who just died three weeks ago himself.
1: yeah and to just one more point about about his comments about McCain uh, his office called us to say that Isaacson wanted to come on Political Rewind. He wanted to talk about the way in which Trump had talked about John McCain. And they alerted the national media that Johnny was going to be on the show. And they they said, we want you to understand what he's going to say. And it became a big deal nationally that Isaacson was going to talk about it on our show. And just to be clear, here's one of the things he he said. he said, uh, if my kids started t- talking, John McCain not being a hero or because he was a prisoner of war it didn't make any difference. They would have a serious conversation with me and I would have it with them. And he condemned very clearly Trump's uh, comments. So, so I d- just think that's an important point to make at a time when lots of people are talking about what a, a collegial, collaborative uh, public leader he was. But but also, don't forget, as complicated as his relationship could be with Donald Trump, he did, in his own way, speak out at the important times about him. He was a great leader, Jim, and we're, we're going to miss him for a lot of reasons dearly. I know I am, and I think you are, too.
2: Right. Yes, I am. It's 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 uh, and it's you know I, I'd mentioned uh Senator Ma- former Senator Max Cleland who we lost in in mid November, uh, they were both kind of men men of the middle, if you will, and 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 they found that ground just shrinking uh right in front of their eyes and and Isaacson eventually moved over to the to the right. Well.
1: Jim, I really appreciate the fact that we had a few minutes uh, to to talk about Johnny Isaacson today. And we will be thinking about his wife, Diane, about his children, about the family as they um, mourn his loss. Um, And and one last um, point. Uh, As I said, this was a wonderful person, in addition to being someone who accomplished a lot for the state of Georgia and beyond. Donna, thank you again for allowing us to crash your show today. And I look forward to hearing your conversation with about the film industry in Georgia. Thank you, Donna.
0: Well, thank you both Bill and Jim for leaving your vacation to talk about this. Such an important person to talk about, and uh, there was so much more you could have talked about, his relationship with Congressman John Lewis, so much more uh, that people are thinking about today. So I know we're all doing that, so we appreciate your sharing your thoughts today, both of you, on this important legacy for Georgia and the country. And so, but when we come back, we are going to be joined, we're going to change gears a little bit, and we'll be joined by a panel to talk about what's ahead for the movie industry in Georgia. This is Political Rewind. (laughs) Welcome back to Political Rewind. I'm Donna Lowry, guest host, filling in for Bill Nygut, who is getting some much-deserved time off. Despite early pandemic-related setbacks, Georgia's television and film industry has not only survived, it's thrived. This industry found effective safety protocols that helped it bounce back early and continue to grow. In the fiscal year 2021, Georgia broke records with $4 billion in direct spending on productions. As the year draws to a close, the prospects for a blockbuster 2022 appear bright with the demand for streaming video services helping to prime the industry's economic engine in this state. And this, the need for sound stages is so high that several major production studios are under construction across the state, including one near the University of Georgia. And much of the state's success is due To the film tax credit, considered one of the entertainment industry's most generous subsidies worldwide. We're going to talk about those things and more with a great group of guests who've been very patient as we uh, started this show, and I'm I'm happy to welcome them. We're going to start with Jeffrey Stepakoff, who is executive director of the Georgia Film Academy. I'm so glad you're with us, Jeffrey.
3: Well, it is my pleasure to be here, Donna. Thanks for having me this morning.
0: Yeah. So you were raised in Atlanta, accomplished writer and producer. Your credits include dozens of television episodes and series, including those in prime time, on the networks, on cable, expansive TV credits. The Wonder Years, Sisters, Sons and Daughters, Major Dad, Dawson's Creek. Uh, You were co-executive producer of Dawson's Creek. So you have quite a resume. We're thrilled to have you with us.
3: Well, thank you. Again, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and about film and our film workforce in Georgia. Thank
0: okay. you. Okay, we're going to get into that in a moment. I, also, with us today, I'm thrilled to say, is Shania Chavis Rucker, who is the Visional Head for the Fulton Films Office and the station manager. She wears several hats. She's the station general manager and anchor for FGTV, Fulton Go- Government TV. She's been a correspondent for Eleven Alive, for WSB TV, an anchor, executive director, and founder. I thought this was interesting. I didn't know this about you, of Gold Gals, Greater Atlanta League Series for Golf. <laughs> Shania, Shania Shavus ruckers thank you so much for being with us.
4: It is such my pleasure to be here. And it was a great uh, opportunity to listen um, to Bill uh, earlier this morning and my dear to the senator's family. But it is so exciting to be able to be on this panel uh, and talk about, yes, you're absolutely right, this booming industry, uh, thank goodness.
0: Yeah, it really is, and it's it's benefiting all of us, and we'll talk about that. And uh, our next guest, happy to have her with us, is Rhonda Penrice. She's a freelance entertainment journalist and author I've known for many years, multi-platform content creator and producer for years, specializing in urban entertainment, lifestyle, stories on dozens of outlets in print and online, everything from The Root to The Daily Beast to Ebony, uh, Essence, AJC. She's also... A writer, an author, she's written a couple of books. I, I love that she was written the book called African-American History for Dummies, and her recent one is Black American History for Dummies. Uh, but she's knowledgeable on all subjects, on TV, film, all genres of, genres of um, black music, travel history. Rhonda, thanks so much for being with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is definitely a um, topic close to my heart. I yeah. actually moved here from Los Angeles. That's right. And I should say we know each other because I was on the founding board of the Black Women Film Network. And you are currently and have been for years re- running the Facebook page for the Black Women Film Network. So uh, okay. we thank you for that. So she, if, if you want to find out what's going on, Rhonda, go to the BWFN Facebook page. <laughs> Rhonda is, and also the African
5: American Film Critics Association.
0: That's it. That's it. Good places to get information. Okay, let's get right into this, and let's start with you, Jeffrey. Since all of you are new to the program, I want you to kind of paint a picture of the scope of the kind of programs that you do. And let's start with you, Jeff, and tell us about the, the Georgia Film Academy and what it does.
3: Well, I would love to. And again, thanks for the opportunity to uh, to speak about the Film Academy um, briefly, and let me give you a little bit of context about our industry so you know what the Film Academy does and, and um, how we came about. Yes, we have a $4 billion um, direct spend from productions last year, which is amazing. But if you go back to 2007, we had about $20 million spent. So if you look at the trajectory over the last 12, 13 years, we've had a 4,000, percent increase in economic activity and direct spend here. I mean, it's been really remarkable. So around 2011, 2012, 2013, when um, all this production activity was taking place, there was a lot of concern about whether or not Georgia had enough Georgians to do all this work. So what our state did, and in fact, what our state didn't do, I think is actually uh, very remarkable. I think it should be a point of pride for all of us. And what our state didn't do was say, hey, we need to put Georgians to work. Let's start a film school. Let's start a Florida State Film School, or let's start a, a University of um, North Carolina School of the Arts, or a TISH, et cetera, which would have been super expensive. It would have trained a, a small subset of Georgians. We would still be laying the brick and mortar today. So instead, what the state did was um, the state said, you know what? Let's use the existing resources of the entire university system of Georgia, not one university, but the whole great system. And let's use the existing resources of the entire technical college system of Georgia let's put it all together, and let's create a program that efficiently and effectively puts Georgians to work. So that was the thinking behind the GFA. Um, as you noted, I'm a film and television writer-producer. I'm also a college professor. i have a professorship of a Kennesaw, and I was offered the opportunity to be the founding executive director of the Film Academy back in the uh, fall of 2015. Briefly, we um, started with three partner institutions, um, two universities, and a technical college. In January of 2016, we enrolled 194 Georgians. Today, there have been over 11,000 student registrations at the Film Academy through I think we're up to about 30 partner institutions, universities, technical colleges, private institutions all over the state. There have been about 1,100 Georgians in union-covered craft internships. I've told you already what's happening with the direct spend and the economic activity. Really, the the three pieces behind our, our business here, as you know, are the film tax credit infrastructure, but also the workforce. So I'll stop there, but that's a broad overview of what our state has done to make sure that we have a new, innovative, and really effective training program to put Georgians to work in
0: this business. Yeah, it's amazing to hear those numbers you talk about when it comes to the <laughs> so, training that's taken place in this state. And I want to get into that workforce piece a little bit more in just a second. I want to get into um, talking with you, Shania, Shania Shavas rucker a little bit more about, tell us about the Fulton Films and the part it plays in this whole big picture when it comes to the film industry in Georgia.
4: Thank you very much, Donna, and you're absolutely right. Uh, Jeffrey, uh, the Academy, they're doing amazing work uh, and really setting the groundwork for even some of what we're looking to do moving forward in terms of our training. But many people may not realize that whenever a project comes to town and they are um, wanting to use facilities and streets and the like, they, they do have to go through a permitting process. And so for all of the... Um, Assets that we have in our inventory, uh, i.e. our courthouses, our jail, current and old one, our libraries, our, uh, uh, our airport, very, very popular, to what people mostly remember it as Charlie Brownfield, uh, would it's called the Fulton County Airport now at, at Brownfield. Uh, anytime you want to use any of those assets, you have to go through a permitting process. And so for many years, our office was just simply that, a permitting hub. Uh, but uh, when I was able to get my hands on this division and, uh, and, and create something a little bit more, we've been able to do, do more uh, by partnering with industry organizations um, for festivals and trainings. And, and thanks to the Fulton County Board of Commissioners for allocating some funding, we can do that. Uh, and so we really do, and that's why I look forward to talking to Jeffrey even more offline, uh, about how we can continue to partner because we have beautiful facilities. And um, and when they want to host events and and highlight some of our partners, um, we have the places to do that. And when we're a partner, we can do that. Uh, And so, um, but we we also work very closely with all of the jurisdictions, the other government jurisdictions, um, so that we can all be singing off the same sheet of music because if we win, they win. If they win, we win. Uh, And, and of course, we've had our share of wonderful blockbuster uh, perceptions. Uh, And in fact, we're we're really, really busy. So thank goodness for all of the pandemic protocols that were put in place. Um, We were on a a hiatus as much as the industry was uh, in 2020. And so a lot of our filming dollars, uh, they were reallocated uh, for pandemic relief. But then in 2021, uh, the board of commissioners said, hey, here's some more money. Uh, Let's figure out how we can make this work. And the blessing, and I'll stop here, the blessing for us has been um, that because we are revenue generating, Um, Our whole goal is to make sure that whatever we get from the Board of Commissioners, um, that we are able to become revenue neutral by the end of that fiscal year so that no tax dollars are being spent on any of our initiatives. And thus far, we've been very, very, very successful in doing that.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I love the fact that, you know, we we know the entire state is being used for film productions. And a lot of these communities don't understand all the permitting processes and all of that. And Fulton Films, at least for Fulton County, and I'm sure... Other parts of the states state have reached out to you. You're a way of helping them understand <clears throat> Excuse me, that whole process. So we're going to get back to you in just a second to talk about more. I want to bring Rhonda into this because, Rhonda, you've covered all of this and watched it all grow. Um, kind of give us an overall view of what's happening right now in television and film and how exciting it is in this state.
5: Well, it's very exciting. I live in Midtown, so I constantly am seeing trucks and so forth. And, you know, the work that, you know, our two other guests are doing is very pivotal in what the kinds of things that we do at Black Women's Film Network, like informing people how they, too, can participate and be a part of this exciting industry. But you, all you have to do is watch any of the um, latest films or, um, on TV or on the big screen and see Made in Georgia constantly to know the impact
0: of what's happening in the state. Yeah. And I, I want to get into that, that whole made in Georgia, that logo alone is part of the whole tax credits, right? Explain that. Just being able to use that logo means that, that it, uh, it's an important part of what, you know, a production company gets a, a break just because they put that logo on. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's good to know. All right. Let's, let's get back to you. Jeffrey, I want to get into the pandemic a little bit and talk about how you survived and how you thrived during the pandemic a little bit. Uh, Georgia did something early on where they came up with protocols that helped everybody get back into place early on, right?
3: Well, we did here in Georgia. Um, and yes, when when productions use the uh, the peach, there's a 10 percent uplift um, that's offered to uh, to productions. Um, which is which is important for us Um, we um, we we really all come together here private sector public sector labor unions production communities to really build our business and to your point you know it's hard to fully overstate from my perspective how challenging things were back in uh, the spring of uh, 2020 when the pandemic first hit you know in the production world of course you know everything was shut down uh, all across our country all across the world how do you take, you know, 500 people and put them into a, a, a small uh, sound stage when this was going on? Georgia answered that question. Um, the Georgia Film Academy put together what we call the COVID Compliance Course, which is a resource that was and is still available to all of our students and all of the productions, crews, cast members, executives, regarding how to work safely on a sound set. We did this in conjunction with our friends at the unions, with CDC, with Georgia Department of Public Health. It's a resource that we offered for free to anybody with the the assumption that it would help bring uh, production back to Georgia, and obviously it did. Our labor unions similarly put protocols in place, and as you say, our state opened up for business. And I believe, as you noted early on, we're killing it here in Georgia, and this (laughs) is one of the reasons. 399 film and television productions. We're up to nearly 100,000 Georgians working. I think the number is 96,000. The numbers go on and on, and we can talk about all the details, but this is really the point I want us to focus on here today. Why are we doing this? Why have we been so successful? Why have we been able to work during the production when other, um, other regions of our country and the world struggled so much? And from my perspective, the answer is partnership. Partnership. This is what makes the film academy work. This is what makes our film industry work. And from my perspective as a Georgian, this is how we roll. And if I may, if you think about what the Georgia Film Academy is as an example, we're a collaborative effort of the university system, the technical college system. We work with the labor unions. We work with state leadership. We work with the public sector, the private sector, global production infrastructure. This is a diverse group of stakeholders. Yet when it comes to film in Georgia, when it comes to workforce, when it comes to putting people to work, this is how we roll. So that's the short answer, I think, to uh, how we've been so successful During this challenging time, partnership, from my perspective, we come together, we figure it out.
0: Yeah, it sounds like we've done a great job with it and that it's a model for other states to to use. It
3: it very much is, Donna.
0: Yeah. Talk about that a little bit, Shania, in terms of what what you know of what you I'm sure Fulton County hears from other states in terms of how, how do you make this work and also the rest of the state in terms of what you've, you've been able to do to help them through the process.
4: Well, what makes Fulton County unique is, as you well know, Donna, we have, you know, over a dozen cities and 16 cities within Fulton County. And so it's wonderful that we are able to partner with these other cities uh, because we are the largest, most populous county in the state. So um, to Jeffrey's point, we are seeing we are killing it because we're seeing so many projects uh, and they love, absolutely love being able to uh, to film right here in in the metro. Um, But it takes a lot um, and it takes a great deal of coordination, um, both from the state and then these local jurisdictions. And one of the things that we have, Jeffrey, you and I are about to be best friends, because when you talk about partnerships, um, you're looking for opportunities and in particular for Georgians to thrive. Uh, we are excited about folks who have now who have moved to Georgia and now called Georgia home, Rhonda. Uh, but we are also very excited about the opportunity to be able to present some sort of opportunity from those, for those who are right here uh, in our very own communities. And so that's kind of where we are trying to focus, even in 2022. How do we get everyone that's already here more engaged uh, in this industry so that it can continue to thrive. And so that, because really, if communities start complaining that the film industry is here, that's a problem, right? And so, but if you are a part of that community, uh, this this industry, uh, then you are more likely to be just a little bit more patient and grant the, the industry more grace with, with them doing their projects here. So these partnerships are key and critical.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and I'm thinking, Rhonda, you you understand you came here because this was the uh, burgeoning industry. What do you think is so attractive to, to others that are coming in? What have you heard from others who come in from not, not only those, you know, certainly in front of the camera, but it's really the big workforce behind the camera that's coming in the, the cameras, I should say, that are that's coming into Georgia and uh, and, and loves it here.
5: Well, I, we would also be remiss if we didn't mention um, the impact Tyler Perry has had. Yes. his decision to continue filming and to like adopt really stringent COVID protocols um, from the get-go has really been an inspiration to other people. So we definitely have to credit that. For me, I came here um, about twenty years ago now to be a part of Upscale magazine. And over the years, when I first got here, music, as far as urban entertainment was concerned, was far more prominent than um, film and tv so to have been here and to see that evolution and growth has been you know quite remarkable especially one of the things that distinguishes um atlanta and georgia film market overall is the amount of diversity and inclusion that you find in the productions that come here i think that's very unique when you look at you know other hubs for filmmaking in the country, I think what Shania had to say about people feeling a part of the industry is very important because I know like you know you'll encounter people who are proud that they were an extra here, or you know you have local businesses that were able to contribute, and I think that that is definitely a difference that I've seen from being um, someone who's lived in New York and L.A. is, you know, the um, effort to include everyone and to get them on board.
0: Yeah, I think the diversity is what makes this state attractive for a lot of people when it comes to when it comes to this industry and so much more. Uh, Jeffrey, let's talk a little bit about what's going on over in the Athens area. So, so. Right now, we know that there is a big need for sound stages, so we're seeing more studios. As much as we're doing in Georgia, apparently there is the interest in doing so much more. And so I want you to talk a little bit about Athena Studios that's coming into the Athens areas. I love that it's you know in Athens and called Athena and what that's going to mean. And, um, and, and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the other studios that are coming into Georgia.
3: I would love to talk about it, Um, and and first, briefly, I just want to emphasize what what my friend Rhonda is saying. One of the reasons why um, we have such a powerful and growing business here is because of diversity and inclusivity. The Film Academy, partly because we are training students from all over the state, has has D&I baked into our uh, our program. Our students, um, by the last time we counted, were 52% people of color, 50% 50% women in all ages are represented at the Film Academy from 18 up into the 60s. And as I like to say, we're not the Fayetteville Film Academy. We're not the Atlanta Film Academy. We're the Georgia Film Academy. So this is part of our strength. We, we bring the business and the economic activity to all of Georgia, and we represent all of Georgia's voices. To that end, because of this workforce, this growing inclusivity, of course, the tax credit, the infrastructure investment... We're seeing a real explosion in productions here. There's an expression I hear um, uh, occasionally, which is you can't find us. You can't find a broom closet to shoot in right now in Atlanta. (laughs) I I don't want to dissuade productions from coming here. We can we can still find sound stages. But this is part of the story right now. The private sector is building infrastructure, which, you know, again, does mean sound stages, um, but also vendor support services, um, ancillary businesses, um, prop houses, um, everything, you know, camera supply companies, everything related to supporting our business. And to your um, your question and your point, Donna, the business is growing out beyond uh, um, the nucleus of Atlanta to other areas, um, like Athens, like the project um, Athena Studios, um, which is up in that region. Very exciting project. I had the privilege of participating in the ribbon cutting up there, or rather not the ribbon cutting, the um, Uh, the the groundbreaking. There was a a gold shovel that was passed around up there, and uh, it's an exciting project. Um, There will be um, stages up there, I'm told, um, ready for productions um, in less than two years. This is how fast it's happening, and we're seeing this all over the region now. We're seeing this in Covington. Um, There's a lot of conversation in Savannah. Columbus has production going on now as well, and this is important, again, to my original point, so that production becomes Georgia's business and all Georgians participate in it. This is how we maintain the industry for for the future, how we create really a legacy for all Georgians. So yes, all kinds of opportunity in production right now. And to your point, the infrastructure is, you know, continuing to be built up. I think, and maybe I'm getting ahead of what you want to talk about here today, but I think 22 and 23, are going to be huge years for Georgia, based on what we're hearing for the entertainment industry here in Georgia. Yeah, de- I will stop here.
0: Yeah, we definitely want to talk about the future and what what you guys are talking about, and we'll get to that in a moment. Shania, let's talk a little bit about what you, what you what you are seeing right now in terms of um, the growth and, and the um, the places in within Fulton County that are um, people are interested in, and the vendor support and the the auxiliary uh, parts of this whole business.
4: Well, as Jeffrey mentioned earlier, you know, 2020 hit us hard um, in, in the industry. But 2020 also hit Fulton County government hard from the perspective of some of its core services and some of its mandated state services, like the courthouse uh, and the and the, the backlog that resulted. And so one of our most popular venues, which is our courthouse, um, we had used to be able to get people in, you know, it, it, very often, even during the middle of the day, we would reserve a courtroom, whether it be an old or a new one. But now there's such a backlog uh, that we have to be very careful about when we can let folks in our facilities. And then there's that whole Protocol and the safety protocols that Fulton County has also put in place, uh, and so and we're we're keeping our eye very closely to watching to see what's happening even with Omicron. Uh, we you know we 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 softened a little bit of our protocols uh, in terms of mask being um, uh, mandated and then recommended, and and we're getting ready to go back to a mandated. Uh, and and because again we do the people's business 24/7, um, we've always had to be very strategic about when we would allow certain uh, movie uh, companies to come and film. But in 2022, um, we're looking to actually increase our inventory. And so w- because we recognize there is a need. He's absolutely right. Jeffrey's absolutely right with the soundstage, uh, this shortage, right? So what do we have in our inventory that we're not using that we can make available uh, uh, for said sound stages and the like, even if it's not our traditional um, libraries? And people love our libraries, but you would be amazed at how our libraries transform into something else. Uh, the Buckhead Branch Library uh, last year uh, when uh, Will Smith was filming um, uh, Bad Boys 3, Uh, or a year before, uh, you would have never known that was the new Buckhead Library. It looked like a precinct. Uh, And so because so many of our venues, you can do a little bit of anything with them. Um, We're very, very popular, and we're grateful for that. And we believe that in 2022, it will be the same.
0: Yeah, I love the creativity. I didn't know that. I have to when I look at that movie, I have to look at it differently. I, I, Rhonda, I want to get to you. I want to get into you to with some political issues too. And I would certainly want to talk about twenty twenty two and what your expectations are for for all of our guests. But we got to get to a break, so I want to do that. This is Political Rewind. <laughs> Welcome back. I'm Donna Lowry, guest hosting for Bill Nigat, and we're back with our discussion about the Georgia film industry. And I'm joined by Jeff Stepakoff with the Georgia Film Academy, Rhonda Penrice, a freelance journalist, and Shania Shavis rucker the divisional head of the Fulton Films office. So thanks for being here. I, I don't want to uh, let this discussion end without getting into some we're Political Rewind, so we're going to talk about a little bit about politics. And I'll focus a li- with you, Rhonda, on that a little bit. We have had political issues have, that have become problematic for some in the film industry that have made made for problems in Georgia. Talk about that a little bit.
5: Well, particularly um, when the abortion bill passed, I mean, a lot of production was stripped from this, um, this um, region. I mean— Disney and other companies refused to film here, uh, red carpets. At one point, Atlanta was drawing like major red carpets, bringing in very A-list celebrities, and that dried up. So what happens politically in Georgia does impact the film industry. So we really, we really have to be careful. I mean, in the last gubernatorial um, contest, one of the things that happened on the GOP side was kind of to denounce like um, some of the Hollywood people that were coming in. And we have to be very careful because people think of entertainment as fun and games. But as Jeff and Sean uh, Sean, uh, um, have illustrated here, it is very essential to our bottom line as far as, you know, feeding Georgians, keeping people, you know, in a career that's meaningful, but also in something that is fruitful and profitable, and I think that we cannot afford to lose sight of that. And also, I wanted to say something about the branding of um, Georgia and Atlanta. There was a time when Atlanta, in particular, doubled as a lot of different places, but now there are series like, you know, Atlanta and other things that highlight, you know, that. It's being filmed here that we are a part of the storyline, and that is essential in attracting new people to the state and just feeding the bottom line. So we have to always keep in mind that entertainment is a business, it is a Great revenue generator, and it can employ people across the spectrum, as Jeffrey has made very clear.
0: Right, and we know we know, despite the politics that have come into play, that it, our political leaders recognize also how important this uh, industry is to the state, that the money that it brings in. I remember at the state capitol a couple of years ago, there was talk of changing tax incentives. That did not happen. That was a short conversation because they realized that this is so important. Uh, to this state, and so we, the and and a lot of people have backed off of a lot of the political talk because of that. Although you know, we with voting rights laws and and all, we have seen some some people who have not looked kindly at Georgia. We're still rolling along and doing really well, and in this industry. And so, Jeffrey, I want to talk about. You know, we mentioned Athena Studios. We missed the part. I want you to talk a little bit about how the University of Georgia students and the technical college students around the state will all benefit from having that studio in Athens.
3: Well, thanks, Don. I'd love to speak to that. Um, So briefly, in order to really understand how the Film Academy works, you have to appreciate, again, that what, what we didn't do, what Georgia didn't do, was go set up you know, one film school at one institution like the University of Georgia or like a Georgia State or like a Southern Crescent Technical College. And instead, what the Film Academy does is move, move lightly to train students at the site of production. So what I mean specifically is whether we're training at Trillith, Tyler Perry Studios, or in this case, the new Athena Studios, um, one of the privileges of what I get to do every day is when I walk into a site where we're training – And to your point, this will be Athena Studios uh, in a couple of years. I'll walk into a classroom and see 25 students at that studio right across from production. And those 25 students will come from as many as 25 different institutions. Imagine that. Imagine the diversity. Imagine all the different ideas. Imagine how cool it is for students to all be working together like that. This is part of the strength, again, of what our film academy does and part of what we, we bring to the state. Now, more specifically, Athena Studios um, will be, uh, again, um, open for business, as I understand it, in two years. Um, Productions uh, will presumably be shooting up there, and you'll have opportunities for students from the University of Georgia to come to the studio and do film studies work. You will also have opportunities for students from the University of Georgia to come to Athena Studios and be trained by Georgia Film Academy uh, instructors, um, work with us to provide internships and opportunities, and those students will go to work um, in productions. You will also have students from any of the 28 or nearly 30 uh, Georgia Film Academy partner institutions training at Athena Studios. So what I'm telling you is not only will you see students from various colleges um, from the University of Georgia, but you may see students from Athens Tech. You may see students from Southern Crescent Technical College. You may see students from Gwinnett Technical College, um, from um, uh, Gwinnett um, uh, uh, College. You may see students from any of our universities or technical colleges up at Athena Studios training with the Georgia Film Academy to work in production. This is the story everywhere that the Film Academy trains. This is part of the value that we bring to productions and stakeholders here in our state. Finally, it's very exciting, I think, to see studios and private sector investment like this taking place now all across our state. And you're seeing this um, in Athens with this remarkable project up there, um, as well as other places in the state. Again, Savannah, Columbus, all over the state of Georgia now.
0: Yeah, I know, uh, Rhonda, you probably are aware of all the other studios that are coming up um, around the area, including the one, uh, the Electric Owl near, um, I guess, up in, in the Indian Creek Marta Station area, it's going to be like an LED, uh, like a green studio. So, like, the interest in making sure that not only Georgia, that Georgia not only keeps up with everything um, in terms of the workforce, but that we're we're dealing with uh, other things that are more progressive, like making sure that we're thinking about the planet.
5: Yeah, I mean, also, in addition to the production You know, some of the Georgia institutions have been able to also shift to um, creative services, too, because a lot of the frustration is that there's a lot of production work, but people want to be able to do writer's rooms in Georgia and not have to be in LA. So now we are seeing that kind of evolve as well. We have a need to, you know, create film editors. We have a need to, you know, create the next great cinematographers. And so we're also stepping
0: up in that regard as well. And these facilities are key to that as well. Yeah. Shania, jump in here.
4: Well, I I thank you, Rhonda, for mentioning writer's rooms. One of my biggest asks uh, with Fulton County government has been just that, um We have so much inventory around and some buildings that are just sitting there empty jeffrey and my and one of the one of the complaints that we've always received is we need some writers' rooms right? and so that is my biggest goal for twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three is to get that back into the conversation and allocate some dollars towards being able to uh, create some writers' rooms and I will say this as I know we're getting short on time. you know there are some things in the pandemic that happened that I hope post pandemic we continue. Um, not only, obviously, some of the safety protocols, but, you know, some of the virtual programming that has uh, evolved as a result of this. Um, we found ways to do things smarter smarter uh, and more efficient. And I'm hoping, actually, to be able to, even like right now this morning, you know, we have the opportunity to speak to you. We, the the viewers or the listeners may not know that we can see each other. But, you know, there's, there's a virtual way to do some things, and we're excited to be able to, to continue to do that moving forward past the p- pandemic.
0: Yeah, I love that. Uh, We only have like two minutes left. So, Jeffrey, real quick, your uh, your predictions for 2022.
3: Well, thank you. And Rhonda, thank you for uh, for teeing up writer's rooms because this is one of the reasons (laughs) I get up early in the morning. I grew up in writer's rooms. I've worked in 16 of them, as Rhonda knows, all in Los Angeles. So Georgia's number three in the country for film and television production, number five in the world. And with the exception of Mr. Perry and a a few other era rooms, we don't really have writer's rooms here right now. I predict that will change. I see a Georgia in 22 and certainly in 23 where we have the full ecosystem of the business here. We have Georgians sitting in these rooms creating content. We have Georgians making this content. And and just as importantly, we have Georgians doing post-production financing, and we will keep the wealth of this great industry here. That's the Georgia see, where Georgians tell our stories and we produce our stories, and this becomes our full, complete business. And we go toe-to-toe with L.A., with New York, with Bollywood, with London. I'll
0: stop there. Oh, okay. We could. I wish you could go on lo- longer, but our show is wrapping up, so that's going to have to be the final word. I want to thank you all, Jeffrey, Shania, Rhonda, for being on the show today, but we're out of time. Maybe we uh, get Bill. Uh, it sounds like he wants to continue this conversation down the road, so I'll invite you back. Thanks again. I want to thank you, the, our senior producer, Natalie Mendenhall, our producer, Sam Burmas-Doss, and engineer, Jesse Neiswanger, And the AJC's Tamar Tamar Hallerman, she will be the one guest hosting tomorrow on Political Rewind. I hope you have a wonderful holiday season. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.